0: This is Father Gregory Pine. This is Father Joseph Anthony Kress. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. Sincerely, thanks. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. For this episode of Guest Planning, we are pumped and delighted to have with us Father Patrick Riffle. Thanks for joining the show. Cheers. And so. I don't know that many of our listeners will know you unless our listeners went to mass at St. Peter's Catholic Church on Capitol Hill for a time, or were in seminary formation with you, or live in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, uh, But for those who don't know you, would you say a word of introduction, who you are, where you're from, what you do?
1: Sure thing. Um, So Father Patrick Riffle, uh, originally I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., so that's the connection there to St. Peter's on Capitol Hill. Um, but currently serving as a chaplain in the United States Navy, uh, and stationed now at Marine Corps base, camp Lejeune and North Carolina.
0: Nice. Yeah. So your name came up recently because we had a men's retreat in Brevard, North Carolina. We actually just had the two men that, or two of the three men who run that camp on a guest planning episode, uh, that's Adam and Jeffrey Trufant. Uh, but the name of the retreat was soldiers and martyrs. Uh, We just picked it because we wanted to talk about the virtue of courage and those would be your two prime examples of the virtue of courage soldiers and martyrs and uh, little did we know that when you advertise something with the word soldiers in the title soldiers and sailors show up Um, so within like the first 20 minutes of the retreat it became evident that there were like seven servicemen there they're looking around like hey uh, can you do terrible things with your hands and with instruments? And they're like, yeah, I, I could see that about, you know, so it was, <laughs> it was pretty sweet. And as a result of which the retreat was especially intense, but like very focused and many of the men attributed their kind of spiritual formation and some of them, they returned to the faith to your ministration specifically. So it's for that reason that we're following up. But I thought maybe just as a way to start off, could you talk a little bit about like what it means to be a priest in the Navy, you know, like, uh, Sometimes people be like, oh, you know, like I'm wearing hats and I got different hats. But I mean, there's a hierarchical order whenever you have different things going on. But what's it like in your specific context?
1: Sure. Yeah, no, there uh, Well, being in the military, there's definitely lots of hats uh, that we're changing around from time to time. But um, so what we do is we provide as part of the archdiocese for the military services. Um, we provide for the Catholic ministry, uh, administration of the sacraments. Um, and pastoral care to those Catholics that are serving, uh, in my case, in the United States Navy, uh, the United States Marine Corps, uh, and the United States Coast Guard. So we take care of all of the sea services. Um, And really, the best way I would describe it is being uh, a missionary. Uh, We are working with uh, a population, not only do we take care of the Catholics that are Uh, part of our individual units or bases that we're assigned to, um, but really whoever walks through the door. And so we really do in a very secular organization, which is the Navy, the military, um, we get to be that presence of Christ, to be that one who brings uh, the truth of the gospel, uh, the sacramental life of the church into the midst of that organization, uh, particularly to the majority of our population, which uh is between the ages of 18 and 25 years old um so as a diocesan priest um we really don't think of being a missionary and being diocesan you think of more of the parochial type ministry Uh, but as a navy chaplain my work is absolutely missionary based
0: yeah i think when people imagine a soldier or a sailor they think of like a 35 to 37 year old man with like, you know, a tight haircut and no beard currently at present, you know, with like a knife between his teeth, um, like, you know, kind of like muscle bound and bulging out of his shirt. But as it turns out, you know, like the average age I imagine on an aircraft carrier is probably like 18 years old and six months. It's just a lot of what we might call youth ministry or young adult ministry. Um, so what's it like? You mean you're you're dealing with things that are deadly serious on the one hand, sure. like life and death and the defense of our country. Um, and then on the other hand, um, you've got young people, just like very young people. Oftentimes, they don't necessarily have a, a great formation from back at home or from school, and in part, they might be avoiding that formation back at home, back at school. So, yeah, what's it like to be in that contrast?
1: So, I think I mean you you hit it right there, uh, you know, Father, with that that in age bracket. My actually, you mentioned aircraft carrier. My first tour was uh, on an aircraft carrier. I was on the USS Nimitz um, and got the opportunity to deploy with her. And you would stand there on the flight deck uh of this massive ship in the middle of the ocean. You look out there, and who's out there landing those planes, launching those planes, moving the things around? 18, 19 year olds uh, who are making that happen every single day. And I mean it's crazy, right? When you think about it. Uh and it's amazing to watch that work. The same is true in working with the Marines. You know, you work with a your your standard military or Marine Corps unit and 18 to 20 year olds, that's who makes up the bulk of those who are deploying on our ships, moving out to the front lines to defend our nation. And so you're you're right. It's a unique uh, age demographic that we're working with in that regard, but that faith formation piece too, we are such a cross sampling of really of America. We're pulling from every every corner of the United States uh, bringing people in and then make having the opportunity to work with them. And a lot of them do come with, um, some faith background. And then there's others who are just now that they're on their own, they don't, um, have that support that they had back home. It becomes a period of time in which they are really beginning to discover themselves and trying to learn. Um, they're given this awesome responsibility, um, to be very adult. Um, but they're trying to grow themselves. Um, and part of that is growing in the faith. They're, they're hungry for it. Um, and some seek for it in other ways that are probably not beneficial to, uh, to themselves and to their souls. Um, but then there's some who dig a little bit deeper uh, and start pursuing uh, the things of God. And it's, that's where we come in. And it's a really beautiful opportunity to, to capitalize on that.
0: So I'm, I'm wondering about like, yeah, there seems to be a kind of shift in parenting in the last 40 years, Father Patrick will sometimes quote his friend, Austin Quick, uh, and he'll say, you know, we went from latchkey kids to helicopter parents, and now you've got what he calls Zamboni parents. So like, not only do they hover over their kids, but they smooth away for their kids in anticipation of whatever difficulty or trouble they might encounter in the world. And, you know, like many studies have observed, that resiliency is on the decline, right? So you have the kind of mental health crisis in general, but then a kind of concentration in that amongst the impressionable young who often, you know, suffer from insecure attachments with respect to, you know, parents and caretakers, uh, but then also have just been like traumatized by a combination of comparison, boredom, sensation, and like pornography addiction. Yeah. Uh, and you're in a position where you're trying to help these guys root out vice and help them cultivate virtue. Uh, but also, they just don't have the same kind of human formation that men might have had 40 years ago. So like, I mean, <laughs> how? How do you I mean, you're not responsible for them wholly and entirely. But but how do you go about that? Like, how do you give them responsibility and train them up into that responsibility?
1: Well, I mean, I think it starts with that initial conversation, you know, so one of the unique things about being the chaplain, a lot of times we're assigned to a particular unit, right? So it doesn't matter what the faith background of that individual is. They're going to walk through that door. Um, we have this confidentiality. We're the only people in the military that an individual could go and talk to say whatever, and it doesn't leave the room. So man, that, that opens up the door for who can I go talk to? And then that's where it happens. It's in that initial conversation of being able to allow them to express what it is that that they're working through or, or seeking or struggling with. And then that becomes the opportunity to bring in the light of the gospel. Uh, even with someone who is, doesn't know what religion is, but to be able to begin to speak that truth of what is virtue and how can we become more authentically human? How can we um, really, and using our the, our Catholic and Christian, how can I embrace the the fullness of humanity that Christ is calling me to by by allowing myself to be uh, filled with that practice of virtue, whether that is you know chastity, whether it is temperance, um, and we just we could go down the list, um, but it becomes that opportunity, and that's how it starts. It starts with that simple conversation of being present to them. Being there um, and using that very human encounter to bring them to the things of to the things of God and to the to the beauty of the truths uh, revealed to us in Christ, um,
2: Father, you you're kind of speaking on how like um, drawing the the soldiers and sailors and Marines uh, into the depths of the faith and bringing them to that encounter with Christ. Um, what about the reverse engineering of that? Like, How has the Catholic faith helped so maybe the, the Marines or the sailors who are Catholic? The kind of principles that are almost second nature to us as Catholics, like the understanding of sacri- self-sacrifice and penance, has that made them better Marines? Has that made them better sailors? Because they're coming from a p- background of knowing, hey, this is part of you know what it means to be a Christian is to lay down your life for another or to undergo penance and, and um, mortifications for the good mm-hmm. of another, like how has the Catholic faith helped to actually make the, the Marines or the sailors better at what is asked of them by their own nation?
1: No, I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, especially with that idea that as father said, that idea of resiliency, right? The military life um, can be, especially uh, for your junior enlisted um, individual, their life is hard and difficult. They have no freedom. You know, there's they're told where they're told where to go, where to be. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's pouring down rain outside. You're going to be outside in your tent, and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna do this. And that can wear on someone if we don't have that that sense of something bigger than ourselves. Whether that is a sense of sacrifice or a sense of purpose and meaning in what we're doing, then it just becomes, you know you know, the the drudgery of the experience. Um, so I think for the Catholic man, who is growing in that virtue, who's embodying the faith, it gives them a, a, a higher purpose. And I think if we know anything about that age demographic that you know, we're, I'm working with, it's the asking that question of why, looking for that meaning and that purpose. Um, and so, absolutely, there's a I've had conversations with that as a, as a Catholic Marine will say, you know, I did offer this up. I offered up the, the fact that I was uh, very cold and very wet all this past week, um, you know, for, for family members, for friends, for others who had gone away from the faith. Um, just recently had a conversation um, along those lines this past week, um, but I think it's that resiliency uh, it builds them up It gives them a purpose, uh, in many ways gets them out of their own head, you know, and they begin to see
0: the bigger picture. So I'm interested in like the role that death plays or the proximity of death. I, I imagine that in the armed services, you have a lot of different motivations. Um, you know, like certain people will say it's to you know, like escape poverty, but that's to sell it short, you know, like because a lot of these men enter because they have very noble desires and because they actually care about the types of things, you know, around which the constitution was framed. But I also suspect that like being around big machines and shooting big guns is also part of the deal. And then I also think too, like these guys, I mean, they have to know going in that, uh, that death's a real possibility and that they're going to be, yeah, they're going to be, they're going to become very intimate with death um i remember reading a letter of general george Patton. it was after the end of the first world war in which you know he acquitted himself admirably but did not cover himself in glory and he writes like longingly for the next war so that he will have the opportunity in which to like attain to the honor which he knows is his like predestined to be it's like wowza you know so i think these guys i mean these guys know that that death lies waiting in the wings um like how do you i mean as a catholic chaplain Right, these guys are they're suffering traumatic brain injuries when they fall off the back of a humvee and they're you know in the shoot house and they're just breathing in all kinds of nonsense which is might potentially give them cancer and they're gonna like bleed out their ears if they keep doing it for as long as they intend to keep doing it it's like how do you how do you how do you like invite them back into life not to say that they're necessarily drifting from it but like how do you pull them out of that death because it seems so very real
1: no that's a that's a that's very true, right? Especially for those that have been um, in more difficult situations who have seen combat, who have been in some, whether it be even just a training type exercise where it's been, they've become very aware of that. Um, and I think that, well, there's two parts to that. One part of that is is you have to get past the sense of the, the, the fact that they are uh, immortal. There is a certain point that they tell themselves uh and they take on this mindset that they are immortal that nothing will ever ever touch them now that's all a facade they know that but that's what they tell themselves that um so once you chip past that and then they would become very um the moral injury really that is what we're talking about here the moral injury that comes from that experience of not only their own uh mortality or experiencing um death and, or injury you know catastrophic injury with other people around them, um, it does leave a mark. And I think bringing them back is really bringing them back to the, the 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 ideas really of our faith, with the when we talk about the resurrection, when we talk about eternal life, where we talk about um, the value in suffering in and of itself, um, those pieces, Um, I think, help to do that. And working with some um, individuals, particularly with PTSD that are struggling with a little PTSD or moral injury, um, that's a big part of it, is helping them to see past just the the death itself um, and looking for the life behind it, you know, looking for that resurrection. Um, I often will tell them, you know, we can't have you know, Good Friday does not end in and of itself. We're always moving towards the resurrection. Um, and so helping them to see that. Um, and then that also determines the way that they live their lives, right? You know, that helps them to to grow in that practice of virtue themselves, uh, to uh, to avoid uh, sin, to grow as men who are conformed and configured to Christ. Um, that becomes part of that whole process as well. Um, Father, but-
2: there's there's a huge risk when we talk about um, those who are in combat, uh, those who you know are in, you know maybe maybe even very highly clandestine missions, you know special sure. forces or things like that. Um, that the, there's a risk of kind of uh, compartmentalizing one's life. You know, these, these Marines and these sailors, like they, they have families, like they're raising kids and, and they can't necessarily bring the, the combat home with them. And there's a lot of pressure to kind of leave it on base or leave it on deployment. And then when you get home to kind of switch gears, and that's, that can be very difficult. And the risk to compartmentalize is always going to be there so um when you look at these men how 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 can you or how is it that when one experiences you know even a a trauma or they're experiencing some very difficult realities you know how are they able or to have an integrated life when things are very starkly different between home and work if we want to call Mm -hmm. it
1: that no that's a real i mean that's a real struggle you know especially Um, I mean, I can say even that in myself, not that I've ever been in combat, but even coming back from a six month deployment, you know, you're living in an aircraft carrier floating around with 5,000, your favorite people, uh, for, for six months at a time. And all you really see is water, you know, then you come back to the hustle and bustle of, of everyday life. It's jarring. So can, if I experience that, how much more so is that for someone who's been in combat and I think really the faith becomes a place for that because what is the the consistency, that, or the continuity that they have in those experiences is that that context of their faith, um, and that's why we exist. And frankly, we there's only about forty one of uh, us priests currently on active duty uh, in the entire United States Navy, uh, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Um, that that faith aspect. Of being able to have access to the sacraments, to be able to uh, celebrate particularly the sacrament of 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 penance, of reconciliation, confession, uh, to be able to have that the Eucharist, that that becomes the kind of the thread. I think that for the the Catholic you know sailor, marine soldier, that becomes the thread. and I think that becomes the opportunity to help them work past that um, that compartmentalizing, because it's going to happen. Let's just be honest. I mean, it's it's a survival uh, technique, really, a coping mechanism that happens. But I think the faith can become a place where you know they can they can that feels like home. I was assigned to um, uh, Paris Island, South Carolina, you know, the famous Marine Corps boot camp. Uh, so down there for two and a half years, working with recruits. You know, I heard a thousand times, I made the worst decision in my life, and. It's like, you might have, you know, but that's okay. We're going to, we're going to push forward. Um, But the, you know, every Sunday I would have 1,800, 2,000 um, recruits for mass. Now, now all of them Catholic, no, all of them, you know, devoutly practicing the faith. No, but why were they there? It was that connection back to home. This very militarized experience that they were having when they came in and we celebrated Holy Mass, it was a touchback to to their other to their other selves, to who they really are. So I think the faith plays a big part in that.
0: Um, so I want to switch gears just a little bit uh, and just talk about your experience of, you know, like priestly identity and mission, because yeah, when you cite the statistics about the archdiocese of the military and how very understaffed you are, undermanned you are, uh, it's devastating on the one hand and kind of discouraging. Um, but then again, like we're all outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned, quote Hamilton. Um, so it's no, it's no surprise. Like it's going to, it's going to come and find us in whatever context of life. Um, but I think like, yeah, I'm thinking about my own life. You know, Jesus Christ is the sole mediator of salvation. He doesn't need me. He's chosen to implicate me in his saving work because he thought I might like it. Um, now I've. You know i found there's a kind of temptation to interiorize that with a dread logic and be like bah. you know <laughs> if not for dot 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 then everything is going to be terrible like you're i mean you can't talk to all these guys you can't serve all these guys i mean except in some kind of vague way like what what do you do to not die under the expectations or under i don't know like the, the burden of priestly ministry
1: no i appreciate that because it it is a thing it's an absolute thing you know i'm um you know, like I said on the aircraft carrier, I was one priest. Uh, actually, not only just for the aircraft carrier, but for a total of eight ships throughout the the strike group, and I was the sole priest. So, how do you how do you do that? Um, and it really comes back to the fundamentals of our of first of all of having that that priestly identity. Um, all of us uh, that come into the military have to do a minimum of three years of work in our Our home diocese or religious community to really begin to ground ourselves in that and then secondly uh it's it's making sure that you are faithful to not only the celebration of of daily mass you put your personal and private prayer your meditative prayer communing with christ uh, bringing those things the exhaustion to him it's Staying close to our lady, um, I for me personally, the Rosary has been uh, an anchor I know I'm a sailor, pardon the pun, but it's been the uh, uh, it's been an, an anchor for me um, you know I could be quietly sitting you know being transported by helicopter from one ship to the other, and I can sit there and pray that rosary and it keeps me grounded. Lastly it's fraternity, and that's hard that is hard for us when we are so spread throughout. Um, but the presbyterate, uh, of the military archdiocese has been really great as far as keeping tabs on each other, um, checking in with each other. If there are, um, more than one of us in an area, we are having, uh, dinner at least a couple of times a month. Um, so keeping close to priest and then priest friends back home. Um, I talk to, uh, a priest, the archdiocese of Washington at two, three times a week. Um, just to have that sense of that connectedness. Um, I work with a lot of Protestant chaplains, very nice people, uh, but they don't get that priestly life and they don't get that priestly vocation. Um, so that's how, that's how we have to do it. And, uh, it's a marathon, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right. I have to keep telling myself that, um, and, uh, I'm a little bit of a, a type A in that, uh, maybe a little bit sanguine and I'm like, let's go. Uh, but, um, really kind of praying and asking for that the virtue really of prudence there and being able to what is it lord that you're calling me to um in this moment what is it that you need me to do
2: yeah um you brought up the the need for fraternity in your own kind of priestly life and uh, very unique circumstances and in a high demand uh and how you have to intentionally kind of seek out that fraternity but how valuable it is um, i think that's one of the Maybe one of the most attractive things about young men who want to sign up uh, for, for armed services is that there's a fraternity there. The bonds that you share in foxholes are, are bonds forever. Yep. Um, and can you speak to your experience of fraternity within the military and how necessary that is just for any, any individual? And we are experiencing in our society an extreme crisis of isolation. Crisis of loneliness, and yet the military does have this kind of unique way of forging, or maybe even imposing fraternity among its members. Uh, So, can you speak to your experience of uh, kind of military fraternity and how that has played into um,
1: maybe kind of curtailing some of the loneliness? Sure. Yeah. No, there definitely is the uh, the forced fun factor that, as they call it in the military, that. um, that, that is part of the, the day-to-day life, but the military itself, even though, you know, they people, they make great bonds and great friendships with the, you know, their fellow Marines and sailors they work with, the military is not immune from the, the loneliness and the isolation, uh, that the, our wider society is experiencing. Um, but when they are able to come together and to experience that, they—it's amazing to watch how how they flourish. Um, and so one example of that really is the one of the works that we've been able to do on uh, my current assignment in Camp Lejeune at our Catholic chapel has been starting a men's group, and it's grown uh, from in the last nine months from starting with six individuals, uh, six junior enlisted to um, upwards of about 40 who attend regularly on any given night, we'll have 20, 25. Um, and I have to literally push them out the door sometimes. You know, we started at uh, 630 in the evening and, you know, father would like to get home by uh, maybe 8, 830. And I'm literally turning off the lights. Um, but it's that experience of them being able to connect with one another, right? To put down the technology uh, to get out of their barracks room uh, And just have meaningful conversations not just about faith but just meaningful you know true human connection with one another um it's amazing to watch how they they flourish with that but the military is a place for that you're right uh you know father joseph anthony it's a it's a thing it's the military does form amazing bonds and that's been amazing for me too i even with my non-catholic um, chaplains, you know, other service members. Um, it's a, people in the military tend to desire that connection, I think a bit more, um, maybe than the general population.
0: All right. I have one last two part question. So maybe like a final thought, if you have one, something that you're hoping to express, but haven't yet been asked to express. And the other thing is like a final encouragement. I'm thinking of like, The theoretical 24-year-old dude who graduated top of his class from some good school and is working on Wall Street and making a bunch of money. He's practicing his Catholic faith, but like the magnanimous desires of his heart are not realized by an 85-hour work week. Like he wants to give of himself more. So final thought and then a final encouragement to that guy, like might military chaplaincy be for him? Your thoughts? Um. It's possible.
1: I think so. Uh, I think military, I I mean, I would be a a shameless plug here. Uh, But um, you know, that would be uh, if you're looking to if you're looking for a way to as to serve Christ as a priest, whether that um, particularly as a diocesan, or as part of a religious community, in which you have the opportunity to literally live, sleep, be with your people, then Navy chaplaincy is what it is. Uh, you have the unique opportunity to be with them, uh, to take that energy, that drive, that excitement, um, maybe a little bit of a sense of adventure. We're moving every two and a half to three years. Um, I have literally ping-ponged around the globe from Okinawa, Japan, through back and forth, East Coast, West Coast. Um, then then it might be the place uh, where Christ could be calling you to, to serve his church uh, and particularly that that 1% of our American population that has taken uh, and responded and raised their right hand to serve.
0: Boom. And you might also get to blow stuff up. Oh, Father Joseph. Yeah, Anthony, I got up.
2: one more. There's a random, random question, but I feel like I have the opportunity, so I can't pass this up. Um, Top Gun one or two, which one's better?
1: Ooh, uh that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think uh, we have to go with the original Top Gun One, uh, the original. Uh, absolutely. However, I can tell you, uh, I was watching Top Gun Two on Okinawa at a military base theater, uh, on an air station. Um, there was uh, there was definitely a, a unique vibe in the room as we're watching that happen. But I think I think one is uh, I think one is never going to be surpassed.
2: Yeah, I think you got to watch them back to back too. Like watch two by itself and then go back and do a double feature because you just
1: have to. Definitely binge worthy.
0: (laughs) Yes. So so the thing about one is that it was made in the 80s, which might be the best decade ever. Uh, But the thing about two is that it recaptures the spirit of the 80s, which for the nostalgic type in 2023 or whenever it was released is quite the feat. I saw it at a $6 theater in Berlin, Germany. Um, which is very different than a military base, as you might imagine. But still, the vibe was like a combination of consternation and euphoria. People were losing their minds. And mind you, these are Germans. So <laughs> that's all to say. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us for this episode. We're super appreciative. Thank you. All right, turning to you, the listener, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of God's Planning. Please follow us on the things where you follow us Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. TikTok. If you would like the episode, subscribe on YouTube or your podcast app, and leave a five-star review. All that helps to get the word out, so that people might potentially listen and might potentially care and might potentially convert further. Um, if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, you can follow the link in the description and/or show notes. There, you will also find links to shop merchandise and to get information for upcoming God's Planning events. Something cool that's going to happen is we're doing a Day of Recollection in the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, and then we're doing a day of recollection in the diocese of Columbus, Ohio. So you got information for both of those things at God'sBlending.org. All right. That's all for us. Uh, no our prayers for you. Please pray for us in turn. And we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Blending.